Welcome to the Life with B podcast, where I talk about all things life and speech language pathology. Today's episode is for all you future speech language pathologists out there. During our time together today, I'm going to share 10 things to know about stuttering as a future SLP. Let's dive in. Number one, there is no one single known cause of stuttering. A lot of research has been done surrounding this topic. So far, we know that a family history of stuttering and a child's genetics can play a role in whether or not the child begins stuttering. A child's development and environment are other factors thought to possibly cause a child to stutter. Number two, stuttering usually begins around the ages of two to six. During the ages of two to six, a child's language skills are growing at a rapid rate. So as the child gains language and learns how to manipulate words, you may hear disfluencies. An article published in the Journal of Neurolinguistics titled On the Cause of Stuttering states that, quote, children typically start to stutter at the point in speech and language development when they start to use contrastive linguistic stress, end quote. You might be thinking that sounds very technical and may not be entirely sure how to break that down to something usable. But contrastive stress basically means putting stress on a word or syllable that is usually not stressed. Number three, males are more prone to stutter than females. To be specific, the National Institute on Deafness and Other Communication Disorders says that males are two to three times more likely to stutter. The gender difference also increases as males grow older. A moment of disfluency someone might experience can be categorized into core and secondary behaviors, which are number four and five for today's episode. Number four, the core behaviors of stuttering are repetitions, prolongations, and blocks. Repetitions and prolongations typically occur on sounds, syllables, or words. Blocks are when the airflow and voicing stops during speech. Number five, the secondary behaviors of stuttering are struggle behaviors like fast eye blinks, tremors of the lips, or other physical movements during the moment of disfluency. These behaviors are often an indication that the person has a more advanced form of stuttering if he or she is exhibiting secondary behaviors. Moving on to number six, we'll briefly discuss assessment of stuttering. Assessment can be both formal and informal. The most important concept to remember during the assessment process is to gather information on how the client feels and how he or she feels stuttering is affecting daily life. It's equally beneficial to ask the client if there is something specific he or she wants to address during intervention. Always remember every case is different, but those are helpful tips to use in certain situations. I've already mentioned that stuttering is seen predominantly in men and begins around the ages of two to six when children are acquiring most of their language, but this brings me to number seven. As a future speech language pathologist, you will see a wide range of ages when working with fluency. Although some clients will outgrow their stutter, some disfluencies persist well into adulthood. Adapting intervention to suit the client's social and occupational demands will be critical. Continuing on the topic of assessment and intervention, next up is number eight. Parents and and frequent communication partners will most likely be involved in intervention. After hearing that, you may be wondering how that would be beneficial. They can be made aware of communication strategies or other ways to support the fluency of the individual. Overall, counseling and education for communication partners can help a person who stutters feel more comfortable when speaking. In some cases, the parent will do a lot of the intervention at home using the Libcomb program. Through the parent's reinforcement, the child can develop more fluent speech. I won't get much more into it today, but just thought I'd introduce it. Counseling and education is important for the frequent communication partners, but it is also important for the individual who stutters, which brings me to number nine. 
there's a large emotional aspect of stuttering. Because stuttering can impact various areas of a person's life, like work, social interactions, and relationships, a person who stutters may experience depression, social withdrawal, and overall decreased quality of life. In a study published in the American Journal of Speech-Language Pathology, social support, empowerment, self-help group participation, and group identification can decrease the negative effects of stuttering. The counseling aspect of stuttering is a topic that could have an entire episode dedicated to it, but because there is a lot to it, that's all I'm going to cover today. And last point is number 10. Providing support and resources for your client will be key. An article from the Journal of Fluency Disorders states that, quote, a majority of participants believe that support groups had a very positive impact on their self-image and acceptance of themselves as a person with stuttering, end quote. Support groups help people with stuttering see that they are not alone. Support groups and resources can also help those who stutter get advice on how to navigate challenges they are facing. Some examples of resources are stuttering support groups and a website like the National Stuttering Association. I hope you found today's topic both interesting and helpful. The sources are in a list in the show notes if you'd like to access any articles I mentioned throughout today's show. Have topic ideas, comments, or suggestions? I'm happy to hear them. Reach out on social media and I'd love to chat. Don't forget to like and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thank you for listening and continue making an impact on communication. Bye, y'all.